Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be, in my opinion, I guess, manufactured in a lab and be vegan. You don't have to like mix a cauldron up in your kitchen of ingredients to make it be vegan. Like there are, there are good vegan options out there. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 139. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome back, veggie lovers. I am so happy to have you here. You have been asking me for an episode on vegan skincare and cosmetics for a while now, but I am not qualified to do a monologue on this issue. So I invited one of my good friends and colleagues, Carrie Knight. She is a dermatology nurse practitioner, and I am so honored that I have had the ability to work alongside her for the past few months as she has opened her own practice. And it's been really fun to learn from her and see her passion and watch her grow. So today I was very pleased that she agreed to come on the show to talk about vegan skincare and cosmetics. Now this episode is introductory because I'm learning, she's learning, we're both learning this and exploring it. So I imagine that there will be follow-up episodes. We can go more in depth, but this is a good introduction, especially if you just don't even know where to start when it comes to your skincare and your cosmetics. Like I had kind of been doing a little bit, you know, when I was purchasing new things, making sure that it was cruelty-free, but honestly, I was just confused. What What does it all mean? Is vegan cruelty-free or can they be used interchangeably? So these are questions that I asked Carrie. I already, this is, this interview was pre-recorded. So I already, after I spoke with Carrie, went and checked all of my cosmetics and my skincare. And I'm really happy to report that the majority checked out as both vegan and cruelty-free. So yay. And there's just a few things that I will be looking for replacements when they run out. And there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it. 
But in this episode, you're going to learn why there are some skincare products that may have things that you didn't realize they have in them and why some companies may not actually be able to call themselves vegan, cruelty-free, et cetera, et cetera. So let me tell you more about this wonderful lady, Carrie. Carrie Knight is a family nurse practitioner who is certified in dermatology. She has a background in emergency medicine, but has worked in dermatology for six years and opened her own dermatology practice in June of 2020. Her skincare obsession began about a year before her plant-based slash vegan journey, and both are constantly evolving. She approaches her patients and the topic of vegan, cruelty-free skincare with the deep belief that a scientific approach and a holistic one are not mutually exclusive. Miss Knight is interested in utilizing medication when necessary, over-the-counter options when possible, and lifestyle interventions always. And like I said, it's such an honor to know her, learn from her, and just see how she is evolving and growing on her journey. So in this episode, we talk about her plant-based and vegan journey. We define different terms like vegan, cruelty-free, not tested on animals, etc. We talk about which one of those are controlled, regulated, which ones are certifications that can be granted to companies, if a product can be cruelty-free but not vegan. We talk about what the common ingredients are that are used in cosmetics that are derived from animals that you may not even realize that those words mean what they do, and how we can actually start to go through our products or find products that do meet our standards and our values. It's a really great episode. So if you are interested in this topic, this is a great place to start. And she gives really great resources. Doublecheckvegan.com, which is really great. I've already been using that, is one of the ones that I used right away. And it was really, really helpful. And several other websites that we will talk about in the episode and will also be available in the show notes. You can find Carrie at CarrieKnightDermatology.com. On Instagram, she is Carrie Knight, D-C-N-P, and Carrie is K-A-R-I, and that's K-N-I-G-H-T, D-C-N-P on Instagram. So I know that you're going to enjoy this episode, and without further delay, let's give a warm welcome to Carrie Knight. Carrie Knight, I am so excited to have you finally on the podcast. We've been talking about doing some stuff together, and this is going to be the beginning of hopefully many episodes together because you're the skin yeah. queen. Welcome <laughs> so much to Veggie Doctor Radio. Oh, I'm honored to be on. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I'm excited because I actually don't know your story. And just for the listeners out there, Carrie and I, we live in the same town. And mm -hmm. for the past, what, like it's been maybe about six months, she's been mm -hmm. subleasing from me. So we've gotten a little bit of contact. I am a solopreneur. So it gets lonely, you know, whenever it's, yeah. you don't see anybody else. So it's been kind of fun to have that interaction and be able to talk about stuff. So, yeah. but I don't know your story. So tell me about your vegan and plant-based journey. Yeah, um, it's, it's surprising. We share so much in common that we haven't really had an opportunity to talk about it. Um, 
And my, I would say my vegan journey began really pretty long after my vegetarian and whole food plant-based journey. I grew up actually in a really, in a, my religious culture kind of was mostly vegetarian. Um, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. So we had like a little meat on Thanksgiving and occasionally my mom would make my dad a, some special meatloaf or something, but honestly, probably no more than a handful of times a year did we have meat. Um, but we did have a lot of cheese and milk. I remember having a glass of milk basically with every meal. Um, but I struggle with atopic dermatitis with eczema. And so one of the things that I started to notice over time was just that in my own skin, that milk seemed to make it worse. So that was one of the things that I ended up self-limiting over time, probably in high school or so, you know, different things lead people towards this vegan journey or whole food plant-based journey. And, and mine really began more as a health journey in nursing school. I remember having like a raw diet season, which I felt great, but kept losing weight. So Chipotle veggie bowls started creeping back in and Trader Joe's frozen meals started creeping back in. But it was kind of a health journey is really what led me there. And then it was, I think this mirrors maybe or is similar to your story a little bit in that as long as I've always loved animals, but like as long as I was eating them or, you know, consuming parts of them, it was like your my brain didn't consider the way that animals were being used in the rest of society. I guess the role we forced them into, it wasn't really until I went whole food plant-based that I really just very gradually began feeling feelings about animal involvement. Yeah, um, didn't, didn't ever really feel anything about zoos. I started qu- kind of questioning zoos. It suddenly felt very sad to me in a way that it just never had before. Um, and I remember just a few years ago, really driving past a farm with my husband and there were these little cages all over this hillside. And I asked him if he knew what that was. And he said they were, is it veal, the baby, baby cows? I didn't know. I don't know if he was, I don't know if he was right, but sitting there looking up. He's right. And ironically today, we were driving to Sunnyside, which has mm-hmm. one of the highest concentration of feedlots in the world. I don't know if you knew mm-hmm. that. And I didn't. My office manager was with me and she asked and I told her and she was like heartbroken. <laughs> I was like, yeah, the reason to keep them there is so that they don't move around too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they chain them to these little things so that they don't move because you want veal to be nice and tender. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's sad. Yeah. And I don't think I would have, I mean, I love, I have always loved animals. I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was a kid, but there was like this disconnect, even probably, I don't, eight or 10 years ago, I could have driven by that same hillside and someone could have told me that. And I would have thought I would, I would have just re, just disconnected, like, huh, not given it really a thought, but there was something about more recently driving past that. It's just this beautiful grassy hillside and these little cages. And to think that there was a cow in each of those little cages, not being allowed to, you know, living a life there and then dying there. Like it, it is um, heartbreaking and, and just so weird to me that that's heartbreaking now in a way that it wasn't when I was still consuming meat products. It's like, there's this deep down thing that doesn't let us process 
what that what that really means. I don't know. At least for me, there was called cognitive dissonance, and it's a known yeah. phenomenon. So basically, what happened is because part of you was like, I eat animals, and that's the way it's always been, and that's the way it is. To your the other part of your brain saying, well, that's not right. It, this clashes, right? And it's not comfortable. Mm -hmm. So most people have cognitive dissonance. I mean, I think cognitive dissonance helps us in a lot of ways, you know, like it's a protective thing. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting too, because I did that 180 as well. Like there was times in my life where I, I would sometimes make fun of my vegetarian friends. And then even mm -hmm. like I had a friend in residence, which I feel so bad if he's ever listening to my podcast, <laughs> who's Jewish. And I would always joke around, like when I would go grab meals for us i'd be like oh i got you the pork oh my god i'm such an idiot like i cannot believe i did that okay so oh, i totally did a wedding. i would never do that now and when people joke with me now i can see how hurtful it is but it's crazy you can be like the same person the same body mm -hmm. the same brain and think completely mm -hmm. opposite of what you used to it's so fascinating yeah which really though hopefully gives us more compassion kind of for the people who, cause I, I just, for my birthday, got the book, how to, what is it called? How to be vegan and keep your friends or something. Cause there mm -hmm. is something about eating a different way or being a different way or having a different yeah, way of seeing the world that people can kind of dig on. And if you can keep the perspective that, that that was me not that long ago, I can have a little bit more grace and patience for people saying those things to me. <laughs> yeah. And for me, okay. it was me for over 30 years. So it was a long time mm -hmm. to be that way. How long do you feel mm -hmm. like you identified as vegan? Um, I, that's such a scary question. I don't know that I still, and even as we dive in more specifically to skincare and makeup things, it seems like to give myself the label V like I'm not good enough. <laughs> like I'm not worthy. Uh, that's common. Um, it's on a spectrum, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and if it is my goal to view animals respectfully and do my best to not cause, you know, be involved in their suffering or support their suffering, that is my goal. But kind of like, I mean, even, even when my focus was just health, I'm still a pretty gray, not black and white person. Um, I don't, it, if someone makes me a meal that includes meat, I don't, I would say maybe speak my preference if it seems respectful, but also I don't want to offend people that are trying to love me well by cooking for me. And so um, it's tricky, right? Uh, but I would say to answer your actual question, it's, that, it's maybe the funniest part of my story. I don't know how many people, it's just a switch versus a gradual thing. For me, the whole food plant-based thing, I have a better answer for than the vegan thing because it was a switch. I was actually pregnant with my now three-year-old. And so about, about four years ago, I read in some scientific literature that babies in utero can kind of taste whatever you're eating. And so mm -hmm. they were surmising that a, you know, a varied diet may decrease a child's tendency towards being a picky eater. And my husband, I wouldn't call him picky, but he grew up very, very much meat and potatoes, cheese and chicken on white rice type of eating. And it drove me absolutely crazy. So when I read that I may have some control over the taste preferences of my baby, and I don't know if you got any wild hairs during pregnancy, but I would get upset. Like with my daughter, I cleaned all the copper pots. I very much did the nesting thing. 
with my son, I heard this about him tasting what I eat and was just like, he will, he will taste bok choy. He will taste kale. Like I just jumped full in and he's not going to taste cheese. Like I don't want him to be exposed to milk or sugar. I just went, I just full on actually one of your guests some time ago, Molly Patrick, um, founded Mm -hmm. a meal plan, the clean food, dirty girl meal plan. And I just started batching my whole food, plant-based food every week, just like a switch when I was pregnant with my son. And that kind of started, it it took some, maybe a year after I full-on wasn't eating meat before I started being like, wait, the way we treat animals isn't, isn't okay. Um, so it started to make me consider the types of things like we were talking about but really with skincare. So I've been interested. I've been in dermatology for about six years. Um, and that kind of started my skincare obsession, but kind of like with medical school and diet, it's like, we learn one thing about the way things are in school. And then like, Oh, it's not all about low fat, low carb. Um, that's not maybe the healthiest way to eat. And in the same way, all I had kind of learned was most, I mean, I remember somebody saying, oh, it's not like we grind meat up and put it in skincare. Like it's all basically vegan. <laughs> and so I just assumed it was all basically vegan. So it wasn't until that, until that perspective was challenged that I really started digging into what is in skincare products, what animal products are in there and what byproducts are in there. And I maybe there's some value in watching the documentaries or the videos with animal suffering, but I just can't, I don't need to, I don't think, because it it would make me feel so, um, I know that it's happening and that's enough. I don't feel like I also have to see it. Maybe I should, but just to hear about the types of things that are in products is enough for me. Yeah, no. And, and I, I've seen a few of the harder documentaries to watch. And I feel like once is enough because it, it can be kind of traumatizing. And sometimes for some people, depending on their personality, it's not necessarily motivating, but it's actually demotivating because it makes them feel very helpless. You know, like there's Mm -hmm. no way I'm going to be able to affect all this massive amounts of suffering. So I'm just going to close up in my shell and not think about it, not do anything at all. So I think it really Mm -hmm. depends on personality. I think if you already have enough motivation and that keeps you going, you don't necessarily need to see those documentaries. Um, but I want to go back to something really important that you said, and that's, it's perfect and applies to this discussion, which is that you don't feel like you're good enough, you know, to, to call yourself (laughs) vegan. Now, not everybody (laughs) wants that label anyway. And so there's some people that really don't want that label. They don't want labels in general, and that's fine. I don't think people need to label themselves. But what I think is really important for people to understand is that it's nearly impossible to be a perfect vegan. Like in our Mm -hmm. world, I mean, there's, you know, there's animal products and so many things and the way that it's processed and so many materials that if you try to get super perfectionistic about it, you're just going to go crazy, you know? So I totally believe in people just doing the best they can. And then when they're ready for that next level, go there. And the reason I'm even talking to you today is because I'm ready for the next level and I've considered myself vegan. It'll be 10 years in just a few months, 10 years. Wow. Well done. You know, 
I'll generally look at something and be like, all right, what does it say? But there's things that I know that I'm probably using in my bathroom that are probably not vegan. And Mm -hmm. in my heart, I feel okay with it because I wasn't ready to do this big overhaul and learn. Like you have to learn so much and all of this stuff. So for for all the listeners out there, it's okay. If you just want to start with one day a week and one meal a week or whatever, and just start with your food and then maybe start looking at your clothes, like leather, you know, or, and, and people can make different choices. Like the leather I already had, I kept. And literally right. every time I wear my leather boots, I'm like saying a little prayer for the cows that died. <laughs> I, I am, I, I'm very conscious mm-hmm. of it and I'm very grateful. And I'm like, I'm going to keep you until these things. And I've had them resold like three times. I'm just going to keep you and I'm mm-hmm. going to love you. And I'm going to honor you. Some people choose to get rid of it. You know, some people, it's different, different steps. So what I'm saying is it's okay. And you don't have to be so hard on yourself for you and for the listeners out there. Obviously, someone who's Mm -hmm. listening, they're probably ready. They're ready to at least learn about it. So let's dive in. Let's talk about different terms because that's confusing to me. Like I've seen things labeled as vegan. I've seen things labeled cruelty-free. There's things that say not tested on animals. Sometimes you assume that they're all the same thing, but I'm thinking it's probably not the same thing. So please explain it to us. Yeah, it's it's such a good question. And it is a really confusing thing. Um, and in trying to explain it, it's it's like I didn't I didn't make up these terms and the definitions I don't even necessarily agree with because, for example, something can be considered cruelty-free but be full of animal ingredients. And in my mind, if you, you know, crushed up a bunch of beetles to put it in the product, that doesn't feel like then labeling it with cruelty-free, rightly so, based on the definition of cruelty-free, that, that like, is that cognitive? No, that's not, that's just silly. It's not uh, logical (laughs) to me. Um, But so the definition of vegan, uh, when it comes to skincare is that there aren't any animal products and there aren't any animal byproducts used in the actual product itself. Um, Whereas cruelty-free means only that the product itself wasn't tested on animals. And even that can kind of get kind of complicated because maybe the final product wasn't tested on animals and so it's considered cruelty-free, but the individual ingredients may have been tested on animals or Maybe we know that that ingredient is safe because some time ago it was tested on animals, but isn't anymore. Like that's an, I I feel fine, I guess, using that information that we got. That doesn't, that doesn't feel like it's no longer cruelty-free because some time ago we gained the information that it was safe to use, but is no longer being (laughs) tested on animals. I don't know if that makes sense, but basically cruelty-free only means that it is not tested on animals really to be called truly cruelty free they can't sell to mainland china because china mm-hmm. so far requires animal testing so there are some brands like cerave is one that i have used for a long time that i've recommended for a long time um if you look on their website it it says cruelty free but then there are all kinds of a lot of brands will say cruelty free but in the fine print it says except that if by, you know, if, if required by law that it's tested on animals, then it is. But they still might claim cruelty-free status because they're not testing on animals. Although their money is going towards 
their products to be tested on animals so that their product can be sold in China. So mm. that's one that feels a little bit gray for me if the company itself isn't, you know, performing animal testing, but it's just because, because a requirement of selling to China includes testing on animals. A lot of companies are working with China to change those requirements and to prove safety without that, you know, necessary, what they feel isn't a necessary measure. Um, but that's the difference. So vegan is animal ingredients in it. Cruelty-free is not tested on animals. And then actually not tested on animals, I don't think is really regulated at all. Just the phrase not tested on animals or we don't test on animals. Even if a company says we do not test on animals, they can actually hire that out. Like, because in their little warehouse, they're not performing animal testing. They can say, we don't test on animals, but they are paying some other company to test their products on animals. Um, they can still say oh, we don't gosh. test on animals or no animal testing. So to me, we don't test on animals or no animal testing basically is means nothing. It's like natural. It's like the, yeah. the title natural. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover, if you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. Can something be vegan and not cruelty free? I mean, I'm assuming that if a company wants something to be vegan, they're also cruelty free. Or can there be companies that like, oh, well, this product is accidentally vegan. So we're going to call it vegan, but we still test on animals. Can that happen? Yeah, it happens actually really often in the larger companies that basically they sell to China. If they sell to China, by definition, they're not cruel, cruelty free, but um, they still might have a, a preference of not testing on animals. They still might have a, a good number of vegan products. Um, I don't know of any that are 100% vegan like and would be cruelty free except that they sell to China. But there certainly are a lot of companies that have a number of vegan products, don't test on animals themselves, but do sell to China. Does that make sense? Okay. Got it. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And then which one of these terms, you said not tested on animals, that's just anybody can say that it's not regulated. Is the term cruelty-free regulated? Like, is there some kind of certification? Is the vegan label certified? Can you get that certified? Yeah, there. If to just say the phrase cruelty free or just say the phrase vegan, uh, there's not like a government. They're not going to get sued for saying that um, by anyone that I know of. But there are specific, um, yeah, certifications, actual labels that can be on the products that give you more confidence that it truly is their claim is accurate. Um, and there are some different, yeah, labels that you can look, can look for, like the Leaping Bunny uh label is a certification that that company has paid leaping bunny to come in and verify like yep your ingredients aren't tested on animals your product is not tested on animals you don't sell to china so if it's leaping bunny certified you can be confident that it's been evaluated and is accurately claiming cruelty free status 
And then product specific, there's certified vegan uh, is a seal that you can look for on products. And um, they also have a lot of food that they verify, but quite a few cosmetics as well. PETA has a cruelty-free and vegan certification. One of the ones that I came across just in preparing for this that I found so fascinating, there's actually a certification called Vegan Founded. And to your point about how broad, you know, vegan lifestyle really extends to vegan founded only certifies you if your entire business that they would classify as vegan. Like people don't, no one who works at your company goes to zoos, purchases leather. Um, even your business wouldn't go, uh, participate in some type of a fundraising event. If meat is on the menu at that event, like the, the business as a whole just lives this very vegan lifestyle, everybody that works there, everything that they do, all of the money that you're putting towards that company, you can be confident isn't going anywhere that doesn't really have a vegan preference, which I thought was neat, but it seemed pretty hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably the most common one to see is the Leaping Bunny in terms of cruelty-free and then maybe the certified vegan in terms of vegan. But there's other ways to look up products to know if they're vegan or not. It might not say on the label specifically. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit more towards the end. But first of all, let's go over, um, because just like we had the conversation a couple months ago about, you know, all of these ingredients that you read and you may not know because they have these weird names and stuff. So what Mm -hmm. are the common ingredients that are used in cosmetics that are derived for animals, derived from animals that we may not even know because they're just so common and that's just what's always been done? Carmine is one, when I was talking early on about, you know, having crushed up beetles in something, if you ever see the word carmine, and it can also sometimes just say natural red four. Sometimes it just says Crimson Lake, but says Crimson Lake on it. Sometimes that just means carmine, which actually just means crushed up beetles. So that's just one example of three different names that can mean beetles. And none of those would make you think beetles. Carmine gives you a red pigment. So it's used a ton and it's hard to find eyeshadow without carmine in it. There are some alternatives like beetroot. carrot, hibiscus, sweet potato, those aren't as vibrant of color and they tend to fade more quickly. So the people, you know, who make makeup tend to reach for carmine, almost all all of them, because the others aren't quite as preferable to consumers. So squalene is another ingredient that is, um, it's actually comes from shark liver, but it's tricky because squalene, yeah, I know sharks. Uh, yeah, so squalene, E-N-E, probably from shark liver, squalene, A-N-E at the end. They both are kind of humectants. They can draw moisture to the skin. But the A-N-E, squalene, um, can come from sugar. It can, it can, is often comes from a vegan source. And then there's like gelatin, tallow. Um, tallow is like pig or beef fat. They use those in soaps or lipsticks or shampoo. And the vegan alternative one of for that is auger auger, which they can get from olives or from sugar cane. And then beeswax and honey. There's beeswax and a, a ton of stuff. Um, it's a humectant, it's soothing. And I was early on, especially more on the fence about beeswax. It felt like 
possible for them to be able to extract beeswax and that, 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 you know, they're probably not squishing bees. Right. So I don't know how traumatic that really is, but they, I didn't know they actually often, or at least sometimes will cut off the wings of the queen bee so that she doesn't flee the hive. Um, and there's artificial insemination even going on with beehives when they're using them for cosmetic purposes. So, um, there are practices that make me more uncomfortable with beeswax for sure. The more I learn about it, some vegan alternatives for that include fruit wax, carnauba wax, agave syrup. Another animal derived ingredient is lanolin from wool, and they can replace that pretty easily with shea butter. And then some other silk amino acids. Silk is used in lots of different preparations. You might see hydrolyzed silk. Um, snail mucin is another animal ingredient in some skincare products. And milk and milk derivatives is another common one. Yeah, the, sna- the snail. Have you heard of snail mucin before? No, that sounds awful. It sounds like snail mucus. <laughs> what? How would? <laughs> no, yeah, snail yep. mucin. mucin. They're just trying to make it not sound as gross. It is. It is snail mucus. They actually, and apparently, the way that they go about getting snail mucin is they'll put snails in some type of a jar and then like shake them up like crazy so that they goo all over the inside of the jar and then they'll scoop that goo out and put it in skincare. I will never know how it feels, but apparently it's quite hydrating. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, if you look at that tight little snail, he always leaves that trail, you know, Oh, poor buddies. They're like scared to death. They're like, no, we're dying. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Bubba. What about um, octopus ink? I heard that octopus ink is used in mascara. Is that true or not? You know, that's not one that there are, there are literally hundreds. I mean, and even ones that you wouldn't, that wouldn't sound like animal ingredients. I, the, honestly, the octopus ink, it's probably under a different name. That's not one that I'm, that, that has come up for me yet. One of the things that I, just as I started my journey out, I went through my favorite things that I was already using, right? I think that's, if you already have a skincare routine and you already have makeup that you're using, probably the simplest thing to do is just go through what you already have. I was surprised that as many things, at the number of things I already had that were vegan and cruelty-free. And my mascara happened to be both um, already. So it's it's one of the products that I've looked into the least because I was like, jackpot, done, moving on. This one's good. <laughs> awesome. And is lanolin always derived from wool? From what I, from what I understand, that's the, the definition of it. I mean, in dermatology, that's one of the things that I learned about that people with, you know, atopic dermatitis are also likely to be irritated by sheep's wool and even lanolin products. So I've always just assumed that it always comes from wool. Is that, is that something that you've heard differently about? No, I just, I wasn't sure if I had heard something like there's something that's I don't know. I just wanted to make sure from you. I mean, I trust everything that you're saying because I haven't done the research myself. So <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of ingredients that they can manu. I mean, they can make lab diamonds, you know, I'm sure they can make lab lanolin. Um, but the name itself, as far as I know, kind of directly implies that it has been taken from washing sheep's wool. What's the easiest choice you can make? 
Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Yeah. You know what I might be getting confused about is lactate in food. I think Mm. there is a non-milk derived lactate. And usually when it's on there, it'll say not derived from milk to specify. So I bet that's what I'm thinking of. And it's kind of like L and whatever. So (laughs) it's getting confused there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're right that there is a, mm -hmm. so that this is good to at least get people started knowing that, you know, these are like probably one of some of the most common ones that are put in there and where they're from. So you started Mm -hmm. talking a little bit earlier about ways that we can, as consumers, 
identify brands or product lines that we trust. And can you tell us a little bit about how, what the process you use to go through your own products? Like, did you use a website or an app or something like that? How can we start to go through our own products? And then after that, if we find products that, okay, this, I'm going to have to replace that, or I want to replace it. How can we go about that? Yeah, I actually, so I, I started with, what do I already put on my face starting in the morning? you know, my cleanser, moisturizer, serums, makeup, what all do I put on? And the kind of websites and resources that kept coming up again and again is really useful and helpful. Um, one is called Logical Harmony. And it's a it's a blog, it has a ton of information, a ton of different brands, and they really go into they have a mostly a cruelty free focus. But it's really extensive, it's really well done. And it does specify It'll kind of give this zoomed out view of cruelty free or not and go into that a little bit for each brand. And then it'll specify the list of vegan ingredients that that manufacturer makes. And then another website I kept coming up uh, to was Ethical Elephant. Um, It's a vegan brand list. And they also did a really nice job. And I would just, I mean, really where I started, I would type in the name of just in Google. I would type in, say, CeraVe cruelty-free. And it would come up and maybe the CeraVe website would say, yes, we're cruelty-free. But then Ethical Elephant and Logical Harmony are like, not really, because they sell to China. So technically, they're not cruelty-free. And then even a lot of the the brands like Urban Decay and... um, I'm trying to think of some other examples, but maybe maybe there's a brand that itself is cruelty free, but then is maybe owned by a brand that does sell to China. So depending on how good of <laughs> how good of a vegan you want to be, and I guess my own personal preference about that is if as vegans we're really loyal to a brand, for example, and then this larger, say L'Oreal, wants to come in and purchase this little vegan cruelty free free brand and allow them to stay vegan and allow them to stay cruelty free but now they're technically owned by L'Oreal and then we as vegans all stop voting with our dollar for that brand that kind of de-incentivizes larger companies from purchasing you know vegan cruelty free brands too so if for me if that smaller brand itself is vegan and cruelty free but they happen to be owned by this mother company that isn't um, I still like to support that. Yeah. And actually the opposite can happen if it continues to be supported. Companies will realize, oh my gosh, the interest for vegan cruelty-free products is climbing. We're going right. to start adapting that into the rest of our product line, put it into more stuff because really it is about the bottom line for them. You know, it's about the yep. dollars. So it encourages companies bigger well-known companies from starting that trend themselves. So, and I have to say, I mean, there's some, like, I love Urban Decay. Okay. And I don't (laughs) wear makeup all the time. It actually now is rare, but get me some glitter. And I am just such a happy girl. And of course, now that I have to go into the whole ecological effects of glitter and I have to change my whole glitter routine, but no, step by step, baby steps. So. You have right, a whole, going. you have a whole glitter routine. Oh, I have. You, you don't imagine how much glitter I have. I have. I can put glitter anywhere. I have glitter eyeliner. I have glitter mascara. I have glitter lipstick. I have body glitter. 
I mean, like <laughs> anywhere that oh, have, I have glitter I can put in my hair. Anywhere that you can put glitter, I have a product that you can put, use that for that place. So uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, well, I just love it. And now I know, I realize it's not good for the earth. So I'm going to have to change it up a little bit, but you know, whatever. Uh, okay. So keep going on your another- list. Yeah, well, just the glitter thing, a tangent a little bit, but that's another ingredient that came up um, to, I guess, often, or at least sometimes fish scales uh, or crushed up pearls can be used in kind of the pearlescent skincare products or in makeup too. Sometimes highlighter where it gets its kind of glowiness can be fish scales or there's some different animal ingredients for that too. Wow. Uh, but the other thing I found super helpful. So my process was kind of, I would just, you know, overview Google the name of the product, um, cruelty free and kind of see what came up. And then I would actually go into the product and, uh, the ingredient list, super helpful website called doublecheckvegan.com, And you can just copy the ingredient list from whatever product you're using paste it into this little box in this doublecheckvegan.com website and click the search button and it will bring up for you here are the ingredients that are definitely not vegan are likely not vegan or are you know maybe vegan but you might want to reach out to the company and see like um glycerin is an example of a really common ingredient that can be derived from plants can be derived from animals, or it can actually be synthesized in the lab. So just to see the ingredient glycerin on your product gives you really no idea unless the brand happens to specify on their website or something like that. Um, Could be vegan, could not be. And there's a lot of different ingredients like that. So the double check vegan was super helpful. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. I've never heard of this website. And I'm assuming you can do that for food too, right? So pretty much any ingredient list, you can put it in there? I haven't done it for food. I would think so. <laughs> I know it was it was That's specific cool. to skincare, but I, yeah, I didn't uh, look at any food labels, but that would be interesting too. Okay. So you use Logical Harmony, you use Ethical Elephant, Google, and this doublecheckvegan.com. I think those are really great uh, resources. So then I'd love to know what, if you have any brands or any specific products that you've, you know, been able to check that are some of your favorites that you can let the listeners know about? Um, yeah, I, so I have to say some of the, the majority of the things that I have that are cruelty-free and or vegan are ones that I have already had. I had, I just tend to buy so much skincare. I don't have as much makeup, but I also don't go through it very quickly. Um, and like you with your leather, I'm less interested in just wait, you know, the waste of throwing things away that I already have. Um, so I, I haven't done a ton of purchasing new things because they're cruelty free and vegan. And probably that says something bad about my skincare and products that I've had them more than a couple years, but, um, some of my, the favorites that I have, uh, milk brand, ironic, very ironically is vegan. <laughs> But called milk, uh, and cruelty free. So they're, they are all cruelty free. They're all vegan. They have some really good products. I actually have one of their cream blushes that I really love. That's kind of subtle and blends out nicely. And, um, so as a brand, it's all cruelty free, all vegan, which is actually pretty rare 
to find, especially for one that's sold at Sephora and is a, you know, it's not some little hard to find brand. It's pretty mainstream. Um, uh, Biosance in terms of skincare is one that I haven't tried a ton of, but it is also all vegan as a skincare line, which is again, pretty rare for a widely available one. Uh, in terms of drugstore, Elf Cosmetics is actually 100% cruelty-free, 100% vegan. They have a ton of Elf has really been stepping up their game in the last couple of years uh, and putting out some decent moisturizers. They have all, I mean, lots of different makeup, setting sprays, powders, um, some of their tools. I mean, that's another thing to consider is the brushes that you're using when you put makeup on and Elf makes all um, vegan brushes as well, like makeup brushes. Um, and Pacifica is another drugstore brand that's vegan and cruelty-free. And, and they're what I have tried. Some of them are like my favorite things ever. Some of them are more, it's kind of more hit, hit and misses, but some of them are really good. Uh, more higher end, like Biosance Youth to the People is another skincare brand that I do use quite a bit and love all cruelty-free and vegan um, and herbivore. So those are the, so for skincare specifically, the Biosance, Elf Cosmetics, Pacifica, Herbivore, and Youth to the People are ones that I all enjoy. And the makeup is tougher, especially to find a brand that is 100% vegan because of that carmine. A lot of makeup brands have at least some products that aren't vegan. Um, milk, again, being one of the exceptions. Um, Cover FX is one that's vegan and cruelty free. Um, Dose of Colors and Lime Crime are two other brands. And hopefully that's accurate. Things also change so quickly um, <laughs> that I would still like to double check. That's super helpful. And I follow some of these companies on social media. So I know uh, Pacifica, they have a lot of glittery things. So. I should yeah, look into that. Maybe that's why they have I'm like, like <laughs> yeah, I should keep their eco-friendly glitter because you know I need to restock. <laughs> Someday we'll be able to go out in public and I can, you know, wear my glitter again. So it'll be good. What's the movie Twilight? Where when they go out in the sun, they're all glitter. You're like a vampire from Twilight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's why they can't go out in the sun. Not because it kills mm-hmm. them, but because they're just too beautiful. You know, too fabulous. So that's you. <laughs> too, too extra like me. Okay. So <laughs> if someone is starting their journey, they've gone through and they realize, oh my gosh, like everything I own is not vegan. What would you say, like specifically, like products, like moisturizer or whatever? Like, what's the easiest things to start with if they're just going to slowly start changing over? Do you have any tips about that? Yeah, I think, um, I, I mean, I would probably start with whatever they run out of first, <laughs> whatever they run out of something is replace that thing. But I think moisturizers and sunscreens, um, are pretty easy to find good vegan versions of. And for some reason they seem more likely to be labeled as such, especially sunscreens, maybe because there's been so much controversy about chemical mineral you know, the reef with the zinc, like there's just a lot of focus maybe already on sunscreens, but it seems like not super hard to just go into the drugstore and find a, 
a sunscreen that's labeled vegan. I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's helpful. And I think also the approach of just start with you, what you run out of is also more Mm eco-friendly too, because I think sometimes people get really upset and overwhelmed and they're like, want to overhaul everything at once. Then there's a lot of waste that's produced, but you already have it. You already own it. You already opened it. If it's working for you, then just wait until you run out before you look for something different. I like that tip. Mm -hmm. What surprised you the most about, you know, doing this exploration and digging into things? What were you most surprised about? I was two things. I was really surprised at the makeup specifically, how hard it is to find good, high quality, long lasting eyeshadow without any, you know, that's vegan. Um, And it just seems like with as much as they can do in the lab, hopefully enough people can demand vegan products that they just keep continuing to work on formulations of, of ones that last well and look beautiful and the, the color payoff is there. Um, I was surprised that someone hasn't nailed that yet. Um, and also surprised by, it's like what we give our attention and intention to just starts to grow in my heart. I guess it surprised me how much the more I considered what I was putting on my skin and what I was using in my, in my beauty routine, it's like allowing myself to feel the impact of that. And especially with something I would never call, I would never call beauty non-essential. Um, but really just for something that is, that I don't need, that nobody needs and that is causing animal suffering. It's like the more I dove into it and the more I let myself think about that, the more it kind of started to make me sad. And then a little bit angry that it just seems to not be. No. Yeah. And I think kind of what you said earlier is right. Is that we just get in a pattern. It's this works. It's always worked. We're just going to keep doing that. It's probably pretty cheap now because so many companies desire the same ingredients. So it's probably just easy and cheap and, you know, I can't even imagine starting like a makeup company, like, oh my gosh, like all the things you'd have to think about. So you're trying to reduce your expenses and your costs and make it easy and and be able to manufacture it, choose where you're going to manufacture it. So it probably is just one of those things. It's just always been that way. But now companies are being pushed to innovate and they're being challenged to think about things a different way. So little by little, when people start going down this journey it's going to push companies to start looking at it differently. But it probably is just like that because it's always been like that. You know, it's just super interesting. I was going to, just as an example, so as I was going through all of my like morning skincare makeup, my evening skincare, one of the products that I searched and just wanted to share because I was surprised by, and it kind of serves as a good example. There is an It Cosmetics is a cruelty-free brand, but they're owned by L'Oreal. So technically that's one of the ones where the mother company is not cruelty-free, but it cosmetics is. And I have an under eye corrector by them called bye-bye under eye corrector. And when I copied the ingredient list and pasted it into that, um, you know, website where you can look up the ingredients the these are the things that came up as not vegan. Uh, it had hydrolyzed silk. It had 
cholesterol, and it was saying probably from lanolin. It had hydrolyzed collagen. It had biotin, which it noted could be vegan. Had diisosterol malate. It had pantothenic acid, palmitoyl. I can't even say this. Palmitoyl oligopeptide, uh, stearith twenty, niacin. They noted that that one was probably vegan, but might might not be. So those are. I mean, I. I could never just have the list of all the things that might not be vegan memorized. It just surprised me how many different names, how many different crazy things come up that you just, you can't with food. I feel like I've gotten pretty good at turning it over, looking at the label and being pretty confident, whether it's vegan or not. I just have zero confidence that I'm going to get to a point where I can do that with skincare. There's just too many names for stuff. Yeah. And just like you're reading that list, a lot of them are the chemical names. And so like, unless right. you're some sort of chemist or something, like I actually have a little PTSD from chemistry. So whenever I see it, my brain just shuts <laughs> off and I'm like, no, organic <laughs> chemistry, you're killing me. So, so it's good. This, this resource for this double check vegan is fabulous. I cannot wait to use that for all of my products, because then it's going to help me feel a little bit more confident because me trying to like go to this website and read, okay, these things are not vegan. And then trying to go back to the label and be like, well, I don't know what that is. It's going to be so, so helpful. Mm -hmm. You're right. I mean, it's so good. And at least it can narrow it down. So for example, I SkinCeuticals uh, is a brand that I've used. And when I reached out to them, because they don't say anywhere on the website, they say cruelty-free, but they do sell in China. Um, and when I reached out to ask them about vegan products, just as a general question, hey, do you, are your products vegan or not? The only response I could get back was basically, we don't give out, it was some baloney. I saved the email somewhere, but it, they just wouldn't answer me. What was vegan? What wasn't vegan? It was like, you can go look at our ingredients if you want to know. But when I, like I use a retinol from them, when I copy and pasted the ingredients and saw what specific ingredients might not be vegan, and then went and emailed them about that. Like, hey, is this ingredient in this product from a vegan source or not? they said, yes, it is a vegan source. So there was something about being armed with a more specific question that got me the answer to that question in a way that just asking broadly didn't get me. So it can be helpful in that way as well. So what you're saying is the SkinCeuticals retinol is vegan? Yes, you can keep using it. <laughs> it is vegan. All right. So I don't have to check that one. You just eliminated one thing off my list. Thank you. All right. This has been so, so helpful. I really appreciate this. I want to know what you wish more people knew. That's also kind of twofold. When I search and listen to vegan skincare specific podcasts and blogs, it's, I, I, I almost listened to something and wrote down all the things they were wrong about, but that felt mean. Um, it, it feels like there's this disconnect between like a, a medical scientific understanding of the skin and vegan where it's like, just make your own face wash with baking soda and apple cider vinegar. I'm like, no, no, that might be vegan. It's not good for your face. Like, I, I guess I wish more people knew that it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be, in my opinion, I guess, manufactured in a lab or um, a, a larger company and be vegan. You don't have to like 
mix a cauldron up in your kitchen of ingredients to make it be vegan. Like there are, there are good vegan options out there that don't ruin your microbiome and skin barrier, um, and all of that. So I guess there, to me, there's this, I guess people knew there was a happy middle ground, um, that's good for the environment, good for animals and good for their skin. I love that. And I know that this is going to come up again in one of our discussions, because someday we're going to talk about eczema. And I feel that all the time parents want to do something natural. And I love synthetic products when it comes to eczema. So, you know, and, you know, the essential oils. Anyway, we're going to get into that. We're definitely going to dig into that one um, when we talk about eczema. But that that's I, I love that insight. That's really good. A lot of times when I look at vegan skincare or the natural organic kind of movement, it starts including all kinds of essential oils, all kinds of kind of bio um, botanical ingredients. And while those things can be really beneficial in some applications for someone who struggles with sensitive skin or with eczema is what made me think of it when you were talking about that. If you think about taking a lavender plant, even lavender was something that can be soothing, but it's out in nature and you take that plant in and distill it down to make a skincare ingredient out of it, um, or use it as one of the ingredients in skincare, you are bringing with that, you know, allergens from the environment. There might be more or less active ingredient in that plant. So for someone who struggles with sensitive skin, I'll have people come into my practice really often with this handful of things that they got at a farmer's market which I'm all for, unless you have really sensitive skin. And then it's like, I guess, you know, it's just as a little bit of Russian roulette um, when you're getting something that's made in small batch and that's made from nat- more natural ingredients. Love that, support that, but it is more likely to be irritating <laughs> to your skin. Yeah. And lavender is one of the up and coming allergies now because of mm. the way that we're using it. It also has been found to be an endocrine disruptor. And it's really heartbreaking to me because it's my favorite. And I used to put, I used to roll on lavender all the time. And I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't do it. It's probably messing it with my hormones. Um, so oh, diffusing is good, but we probably shouldn't be applying it to our skin all the time because it is getting absorbed mm. and it could potentially be an endocrine disruptor. They've actually shown studies where boys that were using lavender washes and stuff develop breast buds and all this stuff. So anyway, there's, there's more to that, but, but yeah, like I'm totally, and and I think, you know, this is a whole different discussion with this natural thing and I'm totally about staying more quote natural, but it is, I think in, in some ways can, I think people misunderstand, first of all, what natural means. And Mm -hmm. they just kind of take it to this place where then they may not be accepting of some of the, the resources that might be really helpful. So we try as much as possible. There there are definitely products that can be really helpful that aren't necessarily natural, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I would love to know what personal habit you are most proud of and why. I'm honestly, I might say flossing right now. 
Nice. I'm very proud of flossing. I, uh, for the first time in my life, I'm like going through, you know, you go to the dentist and they're like, would you like more floss and, you know, another toothbrush? And I'm like, heck yeah. Cause I actually ran out of floss in the last six months, which is new for me. Did you find it hard to stick with flossing before? But yeah. I, did I floss before is a better question. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but then once I started doing it consistently, you know, I, it just felt probably the same reason that I wasn't good at washing my face or good at putting sunscreen on in the morning. Um, it didn't feel necessary and I had things to go play and explore and do. Um, and then you hit, you know, your thirties, mid thirties. And it's like, you know, I would, I would like to not get basal cell on my face and I would like to not prematurely age from not washing my face. And I'm kind of tired of getting cavities. So I'm going to do the little things to take care of myself. Well, if you allow me to brag about myself, because this is an amazing story, I think it is funny how we can develop (laughs) habits that we didn't think we could, because I came to you when I was ready to start a real skincare routine for someone who wants to age well. I feel Mm -hmm. like genetically I have some good genes, so that helps. But I knew that Mm -hmm. if I pushed it too long, it wasn't going to go well, you know? And I never, ever wash my face before bed ever until after (laughs) I saw you. Like, first of all, because I'm lazy. And once I'm sleepy, I'm even lazier. But, you know, I knew it was important. So I, and then I remember you telling me that you make it like this spa experience and buy nice products and then you look forward to it. And I was like, I don't know if I can identify with that, whatever. So, but I think the coolest, coolest thing is, is that this habit has become so ingrained for me. And it's probably been about a year or a little bit over a year since I saw you, maybe 18 months. Mm -hmm. Um, It's become so ingrained for me that sometimes I even have the thought, I don't think I'm going to wash my face tonight because I'm so tired. Like I will decide ahead of time. I'm not going to wash my face because I'm too tired. And my body will literally walk into the bathroom and start doing the routine. And then like a few minutes later, I'm like, whoa, I just washed my face. And I actually decided not to wash my face. That is a (laughs) habit. That is a habit. And I'm so proud of myself. So I'm really proud of you for flossing too. So I'm proud of you for washing your face. Because we're going to live to 100 and you're going to have your teeth and, you know, good skin. And I'm going to have good skin and it's going to be awesome. So Heck yeah. congratulations. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> All right. Tell me uh, how my listeners can connect with you and what services you offer, especially for our local peeps here in the Yakima area. So far, I'm pretty new. I've been in dermatology six years, but I just opened my own practice in June. So I have big dreams and big plans. I started a blog on my website, um, which the website is carrynightdermatology.com. Um, but it's just, you know, I have all these big ideas in my head. So I guess start checking in on my blog now and someday I will have so many great things there to look at. Um, but for questions, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions. I'm not always great at getting back right away, but my email is the same carrynightdermatology at gmail.com. Um, yeah, those are probably the two best ways to connect with me. And you're on social too? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, um, at Carrie Knight Dermatology. I'm on Instagram, 
uh, it's Carrie Knight DCNP, um, which is a dermatology certified nurse practitioner. Um, yeah. So you can check in with me on those places. I'm maybe more responsive there than email sometimes. And I offer it's, it's primarily, I have a medical practice. I'd say it's probably 70, 30. So I'm treating things like eczema and psoriasis and biopsying, you know, skin cancer and treating it or draining cysts, cutting off skin tags. Um, my joke that isn't really a joke is if I have to see too many patients without cutting on something, I start to get fussy. So that's the procedure part is my joy for sure. Uh, and then I do, I love to talk about skincare. Acne is one of my favorite things. I do cosmetic procedures, injections as well. Um, which is another interesting topic because that you wouldn't think that that would be, um, you know, vegan or healthy, but anyway, those are some of the things that I do. Cool. And yeah, so we're opposites because I don't like procedures at all and you love procedures. And now that we're sharing a space, I get to see all the things you use. I'm like, oh my God, she has like all these needles and all these things, um, which is cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you like doing that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I know if something needs to be cut off, I'm sending it to you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, That's please. awesome. Thank you. Okay. And for the listeners out there, if there's a skin topic you'd like to hear more about, I know for sure we'll cover acne, eczema. So there's a whole list of things I'd like to have little chats with Carrie about. But if there are skin things that you want to know more about, send me an email and we can put it on the list. Carrie, this yeah, has been great. That. So one last thing for you, if you can leave us with one call to action, what is one thing that we can start doing this week to improve our skincare? You probably already had a guest say sunscreen. I think that's probably, I mean, yeah, sunscreen or washing your face. Like I sounds like I talked to you into doing, and I think I'll have people say my skin is great. Why bother washing my face? But there's just, there's a lot of data that what we leave sitting on our skin in terms of, you know, just dirt and oil and environmental pollution contributes to premature aging. So just rinsing that off and then putting a moisturizer over top, even if your skin is great now, to your point, if we live to be a hundred, eventually that starts, <laughs> tide begins to turn. I love it. So wash your face at night before bed. I promise you can do it. And one day you will be like a robot like me and just go into the bathroom. <laughs> and wash your face without even realizing you're doing it. And it, it does feel good though. I mean, I didn't used to do it, but now that I do it, I realize it does feel good. You feel fresh, you feel, I don't know, it, you do acquire the taste for it, you know? So if you don't yep. do it, start yeah. doing it and tell me what you think. Yeah, love it. All right, Carrie. Thank you so much for your time. This has been so informative. I can't wait to go through these websites and check out all my products and I'll report to you how many do not qualify anymore <laughs> and we'll just go step by step. So I appreciate your time and I hope that you have a yeah. very plantastic day. Thank you so much. You too, Dr. Yami. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.